That was cheesy. I don't care. You need a little cheese. Didn't you learn anything from Jabba's sail barge? <laughs> <laughs> Greetings, Trinitarians. This podcast is possible partly because of Trinity College of the Bible and Theological Seminary in Evansville, Indiana. If you're interested in beginning your theological academic journey at Trinity, contact us at trinitysem, that's trinitysem.edu today. Greetings and welcome to another edition of Trinity Radio. I'm Jonathan Pritchett, and along with me is... Braxton Hunter. And today you get a two-for-one because reasons. And I'm fresh back from Australia, mate. So it's here's not heresy. It's come on. No, it's Harris son. Wow! They gave us nothing but tradition and no argument. All they did was get on this stage, yell real loud, and set a straw man on fire. Okay, now, this is... I... I I was... not impressed. (laughs) I've never heard of this gentleman before, but... And there is no evidence at all, except in the imagination of Dr. Braxton and like-minded thinkers, that there is such a thing as an objective morality. All right, well, that was a very passionate speech by Professor Alvarez. However, let me point out a couple of things that I have not argued tonight that Professor Alvarez seems to think that I have argued. Everything that begins to exist must have a cause for its existence. On behalf of humanity, God became man to die for the sin of the world. Then, because of that sacrifice, you can rise from the dead just like he rose from the dead. We are back. Yes, and we are back in the studio. It is good to be home. Yeah, and um, I am I am glad to be back in the studio. Yes, and uh, if you do hear any construction sounds, they are still working uh, next to the campus. Nevertheless, um, I'm glad to be back from the great nation of Australia. I was taken there by, I was whisked away to Australia by... Mm-hmm. Um, uh, one of our Trinity Radio listeners. That just goes to show we will go to the ends of the earth for Jesus and, and for, for our, our listeners. listeners. That's right. Um, you well, see that on my he, shirt. Not, not we. I, I didn't get in. I have a, um, uh, the elusive mythical uh, creature of legend, the kangaroo. That's because uh, you may know this. There is a subcategory of flat earthers mm-hmm. uh, who believes that Australia is a myth. Australia does not exist. Now, uh, if you're one of those people, you'll just think that... Now, this I'm, is a subcategory of flat earthers. I think so. They, Some flat earthers believe yeah, in yeah, Australia. Yeah. yeah. And we don't want to get don't. flat earthers a bad reputation. Is that <laughs> <laughs> right. Some, okay. But, but, when did this... All right. Now we're the bro down. So okay, let's move but, on. But here's the thing. So... so Australia is uh, real. Australia is real, although if you'll just suspect that I'm now in on the conspiracy or I was duped. Uh, perhaps the plane flew around for 17 hours and landed in Phoenix, Arizona, out in the desert or something. I don't know. Uh, but I'm telling you, and you know you can trust me or you wouldn't listen to this show, that Australia is real. But I didn't see a single kangaroo while I was there. I'm starting to believe that kangaroos, the kangaroos are, are mythical myth. creatures, yes. along with perhaps koala bears. Australia is real, kangaroos not. That's Have you ever saying. seen a wet koala bear? Go Google that. Not right now, but do it later. Uh, it's a good thing those things are myths because that is terrifying. Mm. But anyway, here we are, and we're ready to talk about a couple of things. Uh, the first thing that we want to talk about is Generation Z. Generation Z. And atheists. And atheism. And the question 
of whether or not atheism is still a problem. Now, um, you'll be happy to know I'm taking this episode seriously, Jonathan. I'm silencing my phone and my oh, computer, right, yeah. and I'm, I want to get serious. And you want to talk about atheists because you think that I think we talk too much about atheists, and now you found a yeah. statistic that says 13% of Generation Z folk, which is uh, which is higher than the it's double over yeah double what the no- normal average of percentage of atheists double the previous generation right now I want that's not the only double reason. the pre- previous generation. The previous generation, the generation Y, was 6%. I don't know. I haven't and, and started reading the, it yet. 6.5%, and then the... the uh, no, 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 it's this. 13% versus 6% of all adults. Of all adults. So Generation Z atheist is no longer a dirty word. The percentage of teens who identify as such is double that of the general population. Okay, so it's double the general population yeah. of the previous generation. Uh, yeah, double adults. Okay, so anyone 18 all and older... All other generations. Right. But here's the thing. This is all coming so to you. Most have you ever heard still of a, Have you ever heard of a research institution called, uh, I think it's Barna, Barna Research Group? Barna? Yeah, Barna. Barna I know Barna. Um, have you ever heard of them? Yes. Okay, this is coming to us from an article. This is uh, from January of 2018. So this is almost a year old. So Atheism, old news. Well, it's not old news. It's it's those teens. Most of them are still teens. So, uh, but it dub, atheism doubles. You see how far behind we are. We're just now no, actually, atheism. I'll tell you why. I'm, I've arrived here. I've been trying to get it out. I'll get it out because he was looking for I data. Still haven't it out. He was looking for data because he heard. I wrote a journal article in Jess about we focus too much on atheists, and I always talk about how we focus too much on atheists because atheists are about. Four to five percent of the overall population, and he found the statistics say, "Ooh, this justifies my very ministry because he, I found a problem with atheists." No, actually, is that uh, is that what? It, no, that's completely. No, I found a way to refute. That's that's preach com- it. That's com- That's why we're doing. No, this. that's completely bunk. I think you're right. That I, I don't think that's right, but I think it's right mm-hmm. that. These other, the other world religions and worldviews need to be challenged like atheism needs to be challenged. I agree with that. Um, although I'm about to blow the lid off probably some of your thinking on this. Mm-hmm. So when I was in Australia, uh, I was there at the uh, National Convention of the Overseas Christian Fellowship, which is a campus ministry for overseas students in Australia. Now, from your perspective, all Australians... Now, what's Jeremy's students. relationship to this group? Jeremy's a listener to the podcast. No, what's his relationship with that group of Oh, people? well, that year, he, this year, he was like the guy organizing it. It's a student-led organization, so they, they shift oh, so that he around. Had, so they forced him to do all the hard work. Basically, I think that's probably true. Although yeah. that organization's incredible. We did a video with Jeremy. You can go listen to that. It should be the last one up before this video. But um, here's the thing. So... When I was there, they had a business meeting that comes prior to the national convention. And so you had 75 leaders there for these different centers all over Australia on campuses. And they brought in actually some workshop speakers for that. And I wasn't one of those workshop speakers. But I have a new friend. His name's David Gregg. And David Gregg's been uh, has some blog articles in major publications. He's out there in also like the the Gospel Coalition. He's he has an article there, um, and uh, he's a Christian apologist, uh, pretty well known in Australia. Not like uh, you know crazy famous, but well known and up and comer. And uh, so is you he, in Australia? I, I, well, uh, yeah, maybe. I, I don't know. Maybe. Oh, are you, thank I'm you. Sorry, I'm sorry. You're crazy that. famous. I'm no, sorry. no, no. I was. I thought you were <laughs> going too far with that. Oh but no. I, but anyway, I appreciate that. So, so but you no, know, I was talking to. I spent most of the day that day after his workshop talking to him, 
And one thing that he shared with me is he came to Dallas Theological Seminary in the States. Mm-hmm. And then he went back to Singapore, maybe? It was either Singapore or Malaysia, I think, and continued his education there. And it was funny because if, if I've got this right, I know that the, the message is right. I'm trying to get the professors right. I think what he said was that at Dallas Theological Seminary, he was told that in the West, the question is, why should I believe in God? But in the East, the question is, which God should I believe in? This so is the Dallas Theological Seminary guy, I think he said, told him. He went back to the East, <laughs> and the professor in the East said, no, the question in the East is now, why should I believe in God? So the point was that Westerners tend to think that in the East, the question is, which God, which, which God, God, God and yeah. it's, no, the internet has has shrank the earth, shrunken the earth, and the question is now still, just like in the East, like it is in the West, why should I believe in God? So, or any God. So, well, and given that the overall adult population in the West here is almost entirely theists, that's not the question in the West. I th- given how much godless communism is in the East... That's for Bedford. Um, that doesn't surprise me that the guy in the East said that. Well, it's just, it's just. So I agree with him, but I still disagree with the the Dallas theological. Yeah. That's not the the question. Is why should I believe in God in the West? That's not the question. Most of them do believe in God. The question when it comes to theism mm-hmm. uh, is why should I believe in God? And he's saying that's the same in the East and the West now. Yeah, I'm it's, saying that's not the question in the West. Well, when it comes to theism. Yeah, when it comes to theism, the question is in the West is the question that Oprah asked in or was talking about in the old introduction to Trinity Radio um, about which God. The God I believe in might not be the God that you believe in. Isn't that what? Yeah, but the, that's the question. Okay, that's the real but question. But the thing about it is, I just, I, I, I know you want to salvage that view that the atheism issue doesn't need that much of our attention anymore. No, that's not what I said. I said okay. that it doesn't need a disproportionate amount of apologetic attention, given that it is the smallest problem that apologists are facing, but overwhelmingly apologists It's not the smallest on. problem apologists are facing. It's the smallest it's people It's one group, of, yeah. it's one, it, no. Because you can take I, all the weird Wiccans and everything else and put them in the same bucket and deal with cults. You know, yeah, you can, but here's a problem religions. that I don't know if you've considered. And that would still... That some of these, because we discussed this too, some of the, some of these other worldviews, like the just mm-hmm. um, spiritual type things or even some of the cults, are not interested in... Some of them, I'm not saying all of them, but some of them are not interested in intellectual answers. Atheists say they are interested in intellectual yeah, answers. I noticed you. Right? Atheists... <laughs> Say right. I, I saw you catch that because I was going. Because I think everyone saw that. That yeah. was kind of intentional. Oh, they say they are interested in yes. intellectual reasons. So by their Until own you talk stated by their own stated beliefs, yeah, we're going to see that in a minute. I think with this data, but but the the thing is, by their own stated beliefs, they should have to care if you're trying to have intellect, give them intellectual reasons. Some of these other views are like, yeah, it's just like. Your opinion, man. They don't care. <laughs> they don't care. Some of these, yeah. especially like the I'm spiritual crowd. Okay, but so that means that though uh, the, though though those people are the we should have preachers and evangelists working on those people and apologists should give the answers that we can give so that that's available. Yes. The group that is like, no, what are your reasons? Now, what's interesting is is atheism is 
isn't, yeah, that's their reasoning. And what's interesting is Generation Z has more atheists than other other uh, generations, right? Yeah. Double that of the normal adult population. So you take boomers, you take uh, Gen Xers like me, and millennials, and out of all that, they double. Yeah, and it's growing. Yeah, and grow. Okay. There's also data that says uh, Generation Z is the most Christian and most religious out of all of them, too. So that's interesting. Well, did you bring that data with us today? Because I'm we talking, talked about that data. A few I'm looking at ago. Uh, I'm looking at a Barna research thing, right? That says that says that it's growing. That this double right. of the population right. to 13. percent Well, that leaves a whole bunch of other percentage points out there that can be Christian and more Christian than the millennials. Well, okay, sure. Remember, we talked about this in our previous episode, but I don't have the stats now because I don't care and forgot them. Well, you're just making generalized. No, I'm statements. encouraging people to go back and watch the other <laughs> video. You should. You should go back and listen right. to all the other episodes. Yes. So, but the. the so, I mean, we can pause it. I can get out my smartphone so it looks like I know off the top of my head things that I don't know, but we don't fake it here. Right. We're giving it to you straight and right. real. Right. And I didn't fake it when I had the so, stats from the old episodes to so go watch it. So, okay. So, what has led to this precipitous falling off, despite the fact that you don't think that they're. Uh, that it's that relevant, uh, or no? I said this is actually interesting because it's double. So that's yeah, interesting. Yeah, that's interesting, and it's also interesting that the most uh, predominant atheist age group is that. Oh, by the way, if contrast it with the fact that they're also generation, their fellow generation Zers are mm-hmm. more religious. If you're if you're new to Trinity Radio, by the way, our entire last season, season. Eight, maybe? Or seven? I don't know. Eight. eight. All of season, most of season eight was us looking at videos from people of various worldviews and mm-hmm. why they believe what they believe and then interacting with it. So, and, and that was, that was a, that was a structure. This is a, yeah. That was a program Wyma, structure right. I came up with. So Wyma. I'm not denying you. Yeah, the Wyma series. This is why Generation Z is. Yeah, we could yeah. call this a Wyma. Wyma. Or yeah, why they're they're going to, yeah, why they're a. <laughs> why they're a. So here it so is. Why there? Are so you going to get that a weird this, spelling? This is like maybe. Wyma, I'll, you know. I'll try. I'll probably just call it is going to sound either look like prescription drugs or... Wythera. <laughs> Have you tried Wythera? <laughs> yeah. Now, understand that if you take Wythera, <laughs> yeah. it could lead to suicidal or thoughts. Or if you take Wyma, you could get a bad case of Wythera. <laughs> yeah, you, you, you could get Wythera. For taking Wyma. Oh, man. Okay. Somebody make us a meme, Wythera. It needs to look like, for those that are going to do it, it needs to look like one of those drug commercials right. with like a slanted font, uh, real, real sleek looking, and um, and some lady like drinking a cup of coffee, and now she's happy because <laughs> she has this Pfizer medication. <laughs> All right, so so let's let's move on now um, and look at the Barna data. Here's what the here's what the article says. So what has led to this precipitous falling off? Barna asked non-Christians of all ages about their biggest barriers to faith. Gen Z, non-believers, have much in common with their older counterparts in this regard, but a few differences stand out. Now, notice this. Teens, along with young adults, are more likely than older Americans to say the problem of evil and suffering is a deal-breaker for them. It appears that today's youth, like so many throughout history, struggle to find a compelling argument for the existence of both evil and good and loving God, and a loving and a good and loving God. You know why they're not finding that? Because that's out there. It's like the same reason why people, you know, escaped convicts can't find a police so officer. So the one argument. Hold that... on. Is why escaped convicts can't find a police officer. 
They're not looking for one, right? Right. Well, I mean, it's interesting that they're That's biggest, not fair. Some of them might be. The biggest hang-up is the one argument that Planiga and company put to bed in the, towards the conclusion of the 20th century. That you're talking about the logical argument. Yeah, now, well, still, the problem of evil. You yeah. answer, we answer the probabilistic uh, problem of evil the exact same way. Yeah. So, the, the, it, done. You're, you, you're barking up the wrong tree. Well, yeah, for those that don't know, by the way, I, there is a topical video that is probably my favorite of all my topical videos on the YouTube.com slash Braxton Hunter. Yes. And you can go watch it. It's 11 minutes long, but it's worth every minute, I think. Certainly and, worth more than this episode. And so you can far. you can get to, oh, <laughs> this has been pretty fun so far. And you can watch me ride a skateboard. You can watch me ride a skateboard in downtown Evansville. Uh, but uh, but I think that's a good, good one. Uh, check that out because I think it answers it in a little way. And you can share that around. If you know a Gen Z person who's having all this trouble finding out how to use the internet to type the words argument from evil Christian and see what the Christians <laughs> say to yeah. this because it's not that hard to find the responses. Um, we, I don't know if this needs to be a whole like show about the problem of evil. Um, but No, where it's about the data about the Generation Z yeah, adults. Yeah, so... But the thing that not all Generation Z are adults yet, by the way. The, the thing here's the well, right? They're mostly teenagers. Yeah. But here's the thing that I, that I think needs to be said as someone who is fascinated by, and this will segue later into our second topic. But the the thing that it, I think is so powerful, you know, like there's a lot of people who say that in terms of arguments for God's existence, the moral argument is their favorite. Mm-hmm. That's not my favorite, but it is a lot of people's favorite. And I know why. Because it connects with people. It's personal. It packs an emotional punch. They can it's not relate. arguing from emotion. That would be a fallacy. Right. But it does have an emotional punch to it. It has an emotional resonance where they can... It's relatable. It's like, yes, I... Because what do we always say? People will say, torturing babies for the fun of it is wrong and everyone knows it. Right? Somebody will throw right. that in right. inevitably. William yeah. and Craig, whoever. Yeah. And people are like, Yeah. Yeah, (laughs) that makes sense. uh, But want to be an educational show, real quick. I'll keep it very simple. But the moral argument does not say that all Christians do good things and all atheists do bad things, and they suck the blood of children and they're awful. That's not. That's That's not what it says. Never been. The point is that, from a human perspective, anyway, Christians and atheists both do good and bad things. But the fact that there is a category good and a category bad and right and wrong. Um, indicates that there is a God, because if there is no God, who's to say? It just right. becomes a matter and of so opinion. And so formally the argument goes, uh, if uh, objective morality... If God does not, not exist. If God does not exist, objective morality does not exist. Objective morality exists, therefore God exists. Right. right. Yeah. So, and so by objective, you might supplant there just for simplicity fact. If you believe that moral, moral truths are are yeah. fact and not opinion. So when he said torturing babies for the fun of it is wrong and everybody knows that it's wrong, right. uh, what he's saying is it's objectively wrong. It's a matter of fact that it's yeah. wrong. It's not a matter of opinion. And if everyone on earth thought that it was okay to torture babies for the fun of it, they'd just all be wrong. Just like if they thought 2 plus 2 equals 13, they'd just all be wrong. It's not a matter of opinion. It's a matter of fact. Yeah. And if it's a matter of fact, God exists. Because if God does not exist, then who's to say that it's wrong? Yeah. But right. most people object to the first premise these days. Because relativists would object to the second premise and maybe concede the first. But now more and more atheists... They're coming back around. They want to say are, are, it's are wrong. If God does not exist, objective morality does... Uh, does still exists. Yeah, they're going to say, yeah, it still does. You don't need God for objective morality. 
how, they never tell us. Right. Uh, <laughs> well, they try to. Well, no, I mean, they, they keep explaining. They, they try to root it well, in. Well, if you've got a guy like um, Michael Shermer, yeah. uh, sorry, Michael Shermer, <laughs> but what he'll do is he'll just bounce back and forth. Well, of course it's objective, and then he'll give all these subjective reasons why it's objective. <laughs> right. And I genuinely am not sure he understands what we're talking about here. Right. Um, uh, if, if you're, you're Sam Harris. If you're Christopher Hitchens, uh, what you would have said, he's, he's passed away now, but what Christopher Hitchens would have said is, Oh, you mean that Christians do good things and atheists do bad things? No. No, you're and confusing you epistemology it on, neg- with you get, It's all explained yeah. to him in the next debate. Oh, you're saying that Christians <laughs> do good. So, so anyway, uh, whether that was intentional or what, yeah. I don't know. But, but, but they do try. Some will just say, "Well, it just is real." Yeah, and if you, yeah, if you're Sam Harris, you root it in human existence and yeah. say, "Well, it's a meaningless question if there are no humans, but since there are humans, it's as objective as you can get." Right. Uh, or you, or sense. you'll get somebody like Matt Dillahunty who says um, it's objective in the following way um, that there's no, like it's not objectively true. The rules of chess are not objectively like transcendentally right or wrong, or right. correct or incorrect. But now that we have this game that we've created, chess, you have to play by the rules. You, you play by the Which rules. Which is just cultural moralistic relativism. It's still subjective. Yeah, it's, it's cultural relativism, yeah, moral relativism. In the way that we're discussing, yeah. objective and subjective. We're just yeah. going to say, let's design some rules for chess and call it morality. But and at least a guy like that is happy to say, as he mm-hmm. recently did say in a debate um, with, um, with a guy, I uh, forget I forget the guy's name, but it, but he, John Ferrer in a recent debate he said, "Yeah, uh, I'm so for me it's objectively wrong uh, because I'm playing this moral game. But if you don't think that's wrong, if I'm drowning in a pond and you don't think it's wrong to let me drown, then you 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 shouldn't like you shouldn't feel obligated to save me. Right, which right. is why he defeats his own argument, and he's not talking about objective morality. He's talking about subjective cultural relativism." Moral relativism and calling it objective, right. which is and he'll say that he'll say then, fine. Then use the right <laughs> language or get out of show business. That's, but yeah, you know. So so but but that but so anyway, you got these different spread. But the point is, the moral argument packs an emotional punch because if an atheist is gutsy enough to say, nope, it is just all subjective, it is a matter of opinion, and some of them do say that. Yeah, they do. And if you're going to say that, then what you are saying... is Let's not talk about Matt Dillahunty drowning in a pond. Let's talk about... Eating babies. Killing gay people just because they're gay. Yeah. You know, that, that, that's provocative, right? Okay, that's horrible. We would say that is objectively morally wrong. Yes, but the, the Christian would say that the Christian the would atheist, say to kill gay people because they're gay is wrong. The atheist, but the atheist who believes in subjective morality, morality has to say, well, it's not like actually wrong. You're yeah. just doing what you like to do. It's just not. It's just not socially advantageous, right? <laughs> so, so anyway, so if you don't care about social ad- advantageousness, then just go kill a gay person if you're an atheist. But that's n- to make a point. They don't do that, okay? <laughs> right to make a point. To, <laughs> that's, the, we're the, making the point, a point about point subjective is, morality. The point is, if you are an atheist and you are a moral relativist, you have to concede that it's really not wicked to go kill gay right, people. You right. just don't like it, right? But the but the thank goodness the Christians who believe in objective morality. Love gay people and don't want you to go kill them, right? right. Well, thank it, goodness for Christians. <laughs> <laughs> well, yes, and thank goodness for God's existence to actually give some meat to the fact that it is actually wrong to go right. kill a gay person. Right. Because according to atheist worldview, whether they affirm objective morality or not, they have no basis for it. 
So the, the point is, is no. There, the point there, is, the moral argument packs an emotional punch, yeah. and so does the problem of evil. But from the other perspective, wait a minute. Your God. This is the problem of evil. For those that don't, well, the, the problem of evil is there's evil, and Christians agree there's a problem yes. of evil because there's evil and it's a problem. But the an, an atheist. I like will bring, the way you said. Say that. Can you say that <laughs> exactly say like pla- that again? I probably can. Yeah. The, the Christians believe in the problem of evil because there's evil, and Christians agree that's a problem. Right. So so that these take a picture of him and. Put that like in a well, quote. That, yeah, I mean that's head. but that's true, right? We, yeah. when we no, it's a good quote. There's though. a difference between the problem of evil and an argument from evil. The problem of evil is what we agree on. Yeah, we agree with Evil's the atheists. A there's a problem of evil. Yes. when you're doing work in this area as a Christian philosopher, you're doing work on the problem of evil. What are you doing work on? The problem of evil. That doesn't mean I'm dealing with an atheistic argument from evil. An argument from evil is different, and an argument from evil... I teach a class on this. And an argument from evil may come in one of two forms. And you could sign up and audit that course at Trinity College Bible and Theological Seminary at trinitysim.edu. The logical argument from evil, very good. The logical argument from evil uh, is the one that tries to say, presents it as as though it is not possible. Like, if you have a loving and all-powerful God, then you wouldn't have evil. Um, you can go look at the hedonist philosopher Epicurus for that, and he died as a rock star in a bathtub on top of a mountain with kidney failure, drunk on wine, and saying it was the best day of his life. So, um, you know, <laughs> so, you know, make of that what you will. And there's, speaking of the problem of evil and suffering in the world, you're probably suffering uh, the problem of trying to find your wife a spouse. So if you go to, what is it, James Avery Jewelry, who's sponsoring um, Soteriology 101, uh, what are you buzz marketing the, for them? Tell for? them that Trinity Radio sent you. Go <laughs> yes, get your wife right. a gift and and tell them to advertise. Maybe with us. they'll advertise with us. <laughs> right. We I'm doing, need the, an I'm doing the Leighton Flowers Ben Shapiro thing where What's they the insert commercials at random in the middle of the program. <laughs> What's that weird green <laughs> slop garbage water that you drink? Diet citrus drop from maybe diet citrus drop will but will they, market on this. They program. should. We're looking at you, diet citrus That's drop. That's right, Big K. <laughs> All right, so, but the problem of evil, the argument from evil can come as a logical argument, which tries to show that, tries to say there's, there's not. There's a logical answer. contradiction in, in the God's existence nature. of God and bad things in the world. Right, and yeah. that's dead in the dead. water. It's alive with YouTube atheists who have not sought higher education, but it, what, but what it's trying to say or is Or read not a blog. Possible. But, <laughs> um, or read an atheist who admits that it's dead on an any right. I mean, atheist blog. Get the book that's called The Evidential Argument from Evil, and you can read a host of atheists saying that that argument's dead in the water. The set, the, but, the, but the better argument, at least in terms of its uh, persuasiveness, is the evidential argument from evil, which doesn't In the say, same way that the moral argument is persuasive to people in that relatable emotional punch, the probabilistic problem of evil is... The, their counterpoint to that, and that it connects with the listener in the same way with that punch that's relatable. Yeah, I mean, I'd say they both probably pack that punch, because, yeah. but, but the evidential actually has a better shot at going through. It doesn't go through, but because... But apparently it doesn't, have a, better, Z thinks it it doesn't does. have a better shot than going through than the moral argument. No, no, no. It has a better shot of going through than the logical argument. Right, because we... Because the logical argument, all you got to do is show any possible reason God might allow evil and be still a loving God. The evidential argument is a probabilistic argument. It's saying it's less likely right. that there's a God Because then you just evil. pile on examples after examples right. after examples. And it's not an appeal to pity either. They're just trying to illustrate the extent of the problem. Right. And so in the same way, when we say torturing little babies for the fun of it, 
uh, is bad and you know it's bad, and everyone's like, yeah, I know that's bad. That's why we're going to vote for that argument. When they say there are people in the world that are actually torturing little yeah, babies, right. and because God isn't really why doing much stop? to stop it, these yeah. these these babies who are being tortured and eaten and whatever else, you Jeez. add that with the fact, and he's not trying to appeal to your mother, he's just trying to illustrate the extent of the evil in the world, well, and little yeah. girls are being sex trafficked and all of this other yeah. stuff, and after they pile on this evidentiary, that's why it's called the evidentiary probabilistic, is because they pile on all of this stuff about there's so much evil, and it's like, yeah, I mean, they're right, God in this can exist, but it, does this look like the world that that has a God in it? Right, right, you know, and 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 so, so it packs an emotional punch. Yes, and there is a an intellectual component to it as well, and so that has appealed to Generation Z because one thing that we know about Generation Z, according to the data anyway, is that they want. Uh, I'm trying to find the quote exactly, but the Barna article says that they. Nearly half of teens, on par with millennials, want factual evidence to support their beliefs. So you're giving them something that is that is an intellectual presentation that is combined with an emotional punch that they are experiencing. Yeah, you know, uh, and then and then you know that that goes that works with them. The thing is, teens, listen to me, Generation Z. Does anyone of Generation Z watch this program? If they're not, then they're being disingenuous because they're saying they can't find an answer to this problem. <laughs> and if they're looking for one, they're going to land here. And here is the answer. There are several answers. And uh, I, I, let me run through them quickly. One answer is that um, perhaps God, God created a world that he knew would have pain and suffering in it because he knows that experiencing pain and suffering builds moral character and integrity. That's the that, soul building. That'd be, yeah, character building. There's also a soul building that's similar and um, and runs off of a character building. And, and the idea is that um, it's true. I mean, that that much Romans chapter 5 says that in the first James. several verses. And then James teaches that. And the thing about it is, we know it. It's Peter. obvious. All you have to do is meet someone Peter who's battling cancer yeah. and look at how they've their light, how they're a better person often on the other side of that if they survive, uh, sometimes even if they don't survive, their character and integrity, and even us watching them. Uh, so that's true, but I don't think that's enough. Yeah, you um, can read James chapter 1, 1 Peter chapter 1, and Romans chapter 5 and find biblical reasons for that. It's, it's not like Christians, oh, really? There's, there's hardship in life? Yeah, really? Right. Yeah, we know. Yeah. Our Bible comes with the book of Job. <laughs> yeah, so Christians, not surprised, book of Job's been there. It's probably right, Mike, yeah. Possibly the oldest book in the canon. So. Yeah, so the character building... And, oh, by the way, if you use the word theodicy, that's a compound Greek word that has to do with uh, God and, and justice. justice. How is God just in spite of all this evil? And so we call these theodicies, answers that people give, and that character building answer is certainly true, and that's one of them, but that doesn't give you the whole picture. Another one would be... Um, uh, the heaven answer that, hey, look, uh, we're being prepared for heaven, and this will all one day have been a veil of tears, and in heaven we'll experience the, the this will all have been like, a, you know, uh, the birth pangs to glory or something. And it'll But only if you it. believe the gospel. Right. That's one reason you have to deal with that. Now, there are some compelling heaven theodicies, and I do think that's part of it. I think it's part of the answer. Uh, but that's not all the answer. A third uh, theodicy that people give is what's called a Reformed theodicy. And I, I have a nice quote from John Piper, um, who's an advocate of the Reformed theodicy, in the little topical video that I referenced earlier. And uh, he basically talks about how, I mean, yeah, God determines everything that happens, but 
at least then it has a purpose. So um, if a child gets uh, tortured, like you said, uh, on he said he would say on your view, there's there might not have been a purpose for that. On God's view, at least He can redeem that and and make there was a there was a purpose. He's painting a beautiful picture, and every picture has some dark which we don't agree with because God can have a purpose in allowing something that He will redeem and not have determined it, as opposed to the the idea that it can only have a purpose if it was determined by God to happen. Right, is a non sequitur. Right, which is, your argument is flippantly dismissed. Okay, right. anyway, for example. I mean, uh, we could dismiss that with prejudice I would never say, let, I, don't make that argument because it's stupid. Sorry, Reformed people, but your argument is, is at the face of it, fillet. Okay. Now, now, Pritchett. I, I, um, I, I would never be the kind of parent that would let my daughter touch a hot pan or a hot stove or something. Uh, but this says here, hot stove. Uh, yeah, that is <laughs> a hot stove, That's yeah. God yeah, that, doing that. That's here. right. And I have a purpose for it, right? That's the Reformed theology. <laughs> you need to learn from but, it. But, but the thing about it is... The only um, thing that anyone's going to well, get out of that... God would... Right. Want, no, no, never mind. I was just going to say, he would affect your your nature and your will such that you would freely want to do that. But anyway, the, the point is... No, on, you know, all that's going to happen is somebody's going to screen capture me holding your hand and say, see, look at those two. <laughs> <laughs> but here's the thing. The thing is... I mean, I'm, I'm begging, practically begging people to do that at this point. On our, on our, no, they gotta make the they got to make the Pfizer commercial. Oh, right? yeah, that's right. But, but, the, but, the, but the thing is, on our view... Uh, even though I'm not the kind of parent that would <laughs> let my daughter just touch a hot pan or something, let's just say I was. You wouldn't grab her I, hand and... I might <laughs> let her touch a warm stove or a hot stove or something. I wouldn't, but let's just say I would. Uh, I might let her do that with a purpose in mind, that she's freely doing it, but then once she does it, I can then teach her a lesson about that. And in a similar fashion, God might allow certain evils to happen so that he can then redeem that and do something great with it. So anyway, the, the point is, the Reformed theodicy is a possible theodicy, if you like. Um, and but they, they got to represent it correctly. The Reformed theodicy is you grab your daughter's hand and throw it on the hot stove. <laughs> yes. Uh, but... And they're going to say, this is character, this is strong. So I believe in two of the three we've given so far, but the fourth and best one, the, the one that, <laughs> I can't say the best one, the one that is the engine behind mm-hmm. the first two, and certainly doesn't work at all with the third one, uh, the Reformed Theodicy. The best one, the is one that the serves free the will is the free will theodicy that says... The libertarian free will theodicy. God wanted a people that could experience love and uh, you know, love the Lord your God, love your neighbor as yourself. But uh, to have real, genuine love, it has to be freely given. If it's not freely given, it's it's not real love. It's not meaningful love. And so God created mankind with uh, real freedom to make real choices, mm-hmm. so that you could get the love. And as listeners have heard me say many times, even in the garden, uh, however you understand that story, uh, there were two trees: the tree of life, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Even there, there was a choice every day. Why did there need to be a choice? Atheists would say, well, that's just because it's clearly made up and you know, God was setting them up for failure and all that. No, 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 that's ridiculous. The reason that there was a choice is because there had to be something that Adam and Eve could sacrifice in order to obey and demonstrate their love toward God because it has to be free. And so uh, you have this freedom, but when you are, if you're God and you want to make free creatures so that you can get this incredible thing called love, then what that means is you're going to, you have to live with the fact, even if you're God, that if you give them freedom, they're going to use it for good and for evil. Um, you might say, well, why can't God just force them to always freely only do the right thing? 
And I would just ask you to replay what I just said really slowly and think about that. <laughs> How can you force someone to freely do the right thing? Or you can go to trinitysim.edu or call one of our advisors and audit Braxton Hunter's course on the problem of evil. That's absolutely right. So, uh, so there you go. Uh, you're doing great. Yeah, you're doing yeah. great. I don't know about that thing where you're uh, hawking the jewelry, but that was pretty good. You're provoking them to average. Because if one person calls and buys jewelry and says, yeah, they said on Trinity Radio about you doing something on some other show, yeah. you should give your money. I don't in. want... That's not what we're going... We're going for diet citrus drop. Yeah. We want diet citrus drop. We're going to show that we can actually sell Layton's sponsored stuff better than yeah. Layton can. That's what we're after. But by the way... That'll never happen. There but, are already some people you know. who sponsor this show, and they are the great patrons that we have on our Patreon account. And it, and and by the way, those come and go. We've lost some patrons. We've gained some patrons. But it's we, we still haven't met our goals. So if you'd like to become a patron and give us a monthly donation, you believe in what we're doing Click here. somewhere. We're putting out Bible studies. I'm going to continue the Bible study. He's going to continue the Bible study. We're, we're going we're gonna to keep doing that. I just put out sermons this past week. We're, we're traveling the world, literally going to the ends of the earth, trying to yeah. preach the gospel. So if you believe in what we're doing... Um, just click up here somewhere, yeah. uh, or if you're listening by uh, audio as to the podcast, you can go to patreon.com slash trinity radio, and please yeah. do that. You are our sponsors currently. Yeah. And for all the patrons who are stuck with us, thank you. For the patrons that are no longer oh, yes. patrons, thank, thank you as well. Um, interesting, we did lose some patrons in the month of December. That may just be because they got people they care about more than us. But we're not winding down. We still got more shows, so don't turn us off, because it sounds like we're winding down, but you're right. No, we're just doing more ads. (laughs) (laughs) This is a commercial break. We haven't mentioned the patrons, and on the next episode, I'll try to remember to read off all the names of the patrons. Well, but see, we have more to say about this, so it looks like we're going to punt the other topic to another show, which is perfectly fine. You got more to say about this? Absolutely. Okay. Huh? Because we're talking about Generation Z, and there's other points in there that we haven't even got to. The fact that they're actually not particularly bothered by religious services. Yeah, one thing is interesting. Um, uh, I, I don't know where that data is. Oh, um, yeah, I don't know. Among Generation Z churchgoers, those who have attended one mm-hmm. or more worship services within the past month, perceptions of church tend to be more positive than negative. Strong majorities of church teens say that church, quote, is a place to find answers to live a meaningful life, 82%, and is relevant to my life, 82%, that I can be myself in church, 77%, and that, quote, people at church are tolerant of those now with those different views, 63%. Seven, yeah. People at church are tolerant of those with different beliefs? No way. I thought they were all hypocrite jerks. Negative perceptions have significant currency, however. Half of church-going teens say, quote, the church seems to reject much of what science tells us about the world, 49%, and one-third no, they don't. the church See, is where... overprotective of teenagers, 38%. That's a problem. That's a problem. The church affirms... They think that the church... Almost half think the church rejects science. Yeah. That's a problem, because the church, at least... At least thoughtful churches, at least. Maybe we're maybe we're failing because Christians have gone out of their way for forty years now to say, no, we're all about science. Now I'll tell you what I think. Okay, so let's go through the data here. So there's a thing that the church needs to get better and say it's not that we're anti science, because we're not. Let's take science is a big thing, right? 
Right. What does that mean? We don't believe in microbiology? You know what's going on here is what yeah. they're saying is they, they're hearing one thing at school, mm-hmm. they're hearing something else from church, and it sounds to them as though the church disregards the sort of things that are being taught in the science class. So this is something we need to fix. Well, yeah, I mean, it's... Well, let's no, run. because when we're looking at this, that's a large number. 50% of Generation Z thinks that the church contradicts science. or uh, This is something that's, that's a bad number. It's something that can be corrected through apologetics. It's yeah, something yeah. that should be. Absolutely. So yeah. let's, 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 let's take a look at this. Whether it's valid or not is irrelevant. The fact is that's our perception, and so you got to deal with what they're saying. Yeah. And I wouldn't be surprised. I, I think it's a bit high, half. That's a problem. So let's fix that problem. So let's run down the things that they asked. Perceptions of church among church-going teens. The church is a place to find answers to live a meaningful life, 82%. The church is relevant for my life, 82%. I feel like I can be myself at church, 77%. Okay, well, stop. Well, we've gone through these already. I know, but a meaningful place to find answers, but not a meaningful place (laughs) to get answers on the... for, for answers for life, but not answers to right. problems of evil. Or... So these might be like different realms. Right, so what they're saying is, I can find, I can go to church and I can find a sense of meaning and purpose in what I'm going to do for my daily yeah. life, but not so much if I want to understand uh, the fundamentals about the nature of the world or yeah. why I get my science at God, school, yeah. I get my Jesus at church or something. Right, and so what we're seeing what we're seeing is churches are still failing at apologetics, is what it sounds like. You know, me. interestingly, there are several articles out right now. That famously in Canada, I think it is, there's a woman at um, some church who came out as an atheist, and her congregation voted to keep her as their minister. And she's an atheist. Mm-hmm. And that's made the rounds on Facebook. Uh, and now what it's led to is an awareness of a view that is called Christian atheism. And it's where you basically want to follow the teachings of Jesus sans the spiritual stuff. Okay, so or the supernatural so stuff. So we've had John Dominic Crossan for decades we have, now. We have. And, and, uh, but actually and this... Robert Funk and all these other... Christian atheism dead, started as a, from a belief that there was a God and he like actually died. And you had some of these people that were like Christian atheists, and it's so a maximally great being stopped being. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, I don't think we need the, to. Okay, now if we. If you're just worried about, if you're now wor- we just don't have <laughs> basic logic it, being it, taught. If, if you're to, worried to, about, we don't need to spend as much time on atheism as apologists do. Just trust me, we don't need to talk too much about that form of Christian atheism because it's pretty well dead. Yeah. This current form of Christian atheism is the one that says, yeah, God doesn't exist. Supernatural right. stuff is bunk. But we should still, you know, Jesus was a good swell guy. And these are wonderful and, metaphors. Right. Yeah, right. that's the that's the crossing that's, yeah, thing. That's, that's Jesus John seminar type stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and that's been around. And, and again, the answer to that is... So what we're seeing is with Generation Z... I'm not saying that's that big. I'm just saying that seems consistent no, with this. Yeah, but these, if you're telling me no, when no, no, I go no. to church, I'm getting meaningful answers for how to live my life, but like the sciencey stuff, the, I don't get that. The objection, the here. problems, the evil. That and seems whatever. like the sort of thing that could lead to a Christian atheism. Right, and what? And, well, no, but my point is, is what we're seeing is the, the in this data, it seems like apologetics is not as taught. As it should be oh, in absolutely. churches. That's absolutely that's right. Because they're getting all of the God loves you has a plan for your life stuff and self fulfillment and all that other, which is still somewhat of a. Problem. We, we we had we had a lady call yesterday that was at the unapologetic conference in Austin, Texas that I did, 
And she told Steve, Steve ran in my office, he thought that would brighten my day up, and it did, and now I'm bragging about it to you. But she said she's signing up for Trinity because she said that she had heard all this stuff about apologetics at that conference, and that uh, that Braxton Hunter guy rocked my world, she Mm. said. That's the first time a woman, including my wife, has ever said that about me. (laughs) So so anyway, um, but here we go. The people at church are tolerant of those with different beliefs, 63%. Well, that's nice. The church seems to reject Yeah, much. but the church shouldn't... That's the wrong word. Uh, we should be welcoming. We shouldn't really be tolerant of... of well, it depends on what you mean by tolerant. You know, We're welcoming to, to outsiders, but we yeah. shouldn't be tolerant of their beliefs. Well, tolerant in that we're not trying to, like... God doesn't exist, but... Put them at the end of know. a sword, but we are... But, but intolerant in terms of... We're still thinking you're wrong. Yeah, <laughs> people have redefined uh, the term tolerant to mean you have to agree Accept, with me. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, so if the, it, if it means accepting, that's bad. Right, if it right. just means we put up I, with I'd, you, I'd then, say no. this. I I don't think that's what that's saying. Right. I, I think they're. I think that's probably a positive thing. I, maybe I'm wrong. The church seems to reject much of what's not. We already said that the church is overprotective of teenagers. Thirty-eight percent. Huh. Well, I'm kind of glad that. <laughs> If like, that's true, if that's, that's true. good. Yeah, I'm like, yeah. I have teenagers. Yeah. Please be overprotective. I, I'm not surprised that Generation Z sees that as a bad thing. Yeah. I see it as a good thing. Keep yeah. it up, churches. That's right. The people at church are hypocritical. That 38% 36- needs to be 90%. You're not the, doing... Uh, the people at church are hypocritical, 36%. The church... Now, see, now this is where you don't need to attack. This is yeah. where you need to recognize that that number is going down. Yeah, it used to be a yeah. bunch of people, you know, higher percentage people thought we were all hypocrites. Yeah, they're now not saying 36. that. And that's one thing the article highlights is that that's not as right. much of a thing. Now anymore. 64% say we're not hypocrites. Yeah. And that's so good. Th- th- yeah. So, th- so this- more than half no longer say that we're hypocrites. Anymore. Yeah. They're prob- probably, I mean, they're going to church now. The, you know, the youth group thing has happened. Right. Uh, there's big events. Church is more. Youth family oriented, or I don't know if it's more, but it's that's a big push right now to be interested in the family and everything. So it may be that that's actually a positive change that's happened, and so that now when the older like baby boomers say, "Well, there's a bunch of hypocrites at church," that the Generation Z kid is sitting over there rolling their eyes. Yeah, no, like, no, they're not. Mm. Um, the church is not a <laughs> safe a bunch of nice ladies that give me candy. What yeah. are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, they they have coffee there and a cool rock band. Right. The the church is not a safe place to express doubts. Twenty seven percent of the faith and teachings I encounter. Church seem rather shallow, 24%. Wait, 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 what? These are going down. Right. Only 24% think that it's shallow. Right. Now, if you listen to my Facebook feed that I was ranting about on Trinity Radio about my Facebook feed, the modern church is you know, producing a bunch of empty-headed, shallow, ill-biblically, blah, people, blah, 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 blah. the people that were arguing with you about that, they would say, yeah, and you're listening to shallow generation Zers telling you it's not shallow. So Yeah, but at least these are the people who aren't calling you hypocrites all day long. <laughs> That's right. You know? Win-win. All right, the church seems like an exclusive club, 17%. Um, so those numbers are, are, are going down. Uh, Wait, the exclu- like, oh, it's just some country, country club, club, blah, 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 yeah, blah. Yeah, what They're we've not- heard for years. Yeah, they're not saying that anymore. Only 17%. Well, you know what's interesting, though? Is I'll give Generation Z something I won't give millennials because I think Of churchgoers. 17% of churchgoers. Of church, fine. Mm -hmm. When we were hearing all of these complaints, it was probably churchgoers making those complaints. Everyone I'm at church with, they're all hypocrites. I mean, they weren't, but, you know, they were probably saying that. And on that shallow issue, now, this may be a special case, 
But I'd like you to give testimony, Jonathan. Recently, you've started attending the church that I attend, and it's one of these quote-unquote trendy multi-site churches with yes, I've uh, caved, coffee I've and caved. music and all that kind of stuff, like trendy music. Mm-hmm. Uh, like All the music sounds like Coldplay. But so... but. And my kids love it. What we would think, I think the perception out there is that the pastor of a church like that is just doing Joel Osteen type stuff. Nonsense. This guy is more biblically solid than all of the uh, preachers besides your dad that I've heard in this city. Well, there you go. I didn't say that, folks. Uh, But, oh, uh, but basically you said what I hoped you'd say. So, yeah. Yeah, Notice I've heard you preach and I didn't say you. I said your dad. You haven't heard me this year in this city preaching. (laughs) (laughs) So, so anyway, uh, so the, the point is, that's pretty good. More than yeah. half of Gen Z says church involvement is either not to, 27%, or not at all. He gives all. deep sermons. I give Brett that. Yeah, yeah. Deep sermons. That are fit our, our, our definition, definition that yes. we gave two episodes ago. Um, that episode didn't do too well. I don't understand that. Oh, well. it's because You know why it didn't do too well? It's because a bunch of shallow Christians. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> all right. More than half of Gen Z says church involvement is either not to... That's 27%. Or not at all, important, 27%. Only one in five says attending church is very important to them, 20%. The least popular of the four options. Okay, very important was the least popular. of the. So one in five Generation Zers are going to church. Mm-hmm. Why is, if I understood that right, but I have trouble with statistics sometimes. Why is church unimportant? Non-Christians and self-identified Christians have different reasons. Among those who say attending church is not important to them, three out of five Christian teens say, I find God elsewhere, 61%. 61? Mm-hmm. They find God. But what is This is, is of everybody. This Wait. Non-Christian, okay, non-Christian and self-identified Christians have different reasons. Among those who say attending church is not important to them. Right. Three out of five Christian teens say, say I find God elsewhere. elsewhere. While about the same proportion of non-Christians say church is not relevant to me personally. The hmm. non-Christian's most popular answer makes sense. They're not Christians after all. But Christian's <laughs> reasoning is an indicator that at least some churches are not helping to facilitate teens' transformative connection with God. Hmm. Reasons, church, it's in, we already looked at that. Again, Again, apologetics. So there's the end of the article. Yeah. Um, Interesting stuff. Yeah. Oh, science in the Bible, you want more specific detail on no. that? No. Science and the Bible are in conflict, 24%. Independent, they refer to different aspects of reality. And why should you care? Science gets so much stuff wrong anyway. But see, that's why they're saying that. They listen to Trinity Radio. And they hear people like me say that. And they hear you say that, and then they're like, see, these people don't care about science. Prove me wrong. Prove me wrong. Prove me wrong. Bring it on, kids. But let's look at the data this way. The boomers was, thought it was in conflict. Sixteen. Science is proud of it. They're like, listen, we fail all the time. It's okay to fail. It's okay. It's part of science. How you we get just to the fail truth, every right? day. Every day we fail. Well, I agree. Right. Every day you, you fail. You, you know what? Had, never you, fails. Love never fails. You know what else never fails? God never fails. Well, you know what fails worse than everything? Science. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, but it fails so that you can get to the answer. It fails enough times till we find the right answer. D- don't don't ditch science, Christians. Uh, have pioneered science. Look at the data. I'm this not, way. Yeah. Look at the data. This and you way. know what? Christians Everybody knows your views job. on this. Here's... Christians do a good job with science because they believe in a comprehensible cosmos. Okay, but they still... for which science can actually work. Okay, if they... you're an atheist, of course I agree. But they still have to. Even the Christian ones have to fail. I'm with David they get Wood. The right science answer. is ours. We get credit for that. Well, yeah, I am too. That's what I just said to shut you down. <laughs> but the point is, the Christian scientists. 
not the Christian scientists, but the scientists <laughs> who are Christians still fail to get to the right answer. The Christian scientists sit around in reading rooms. The Christian scientists are like, just believe, man, and you're not sick. Yeah, and you won't we'll be just sick come anymore. to our, our reading room and die. That's cancer, why I, went to, I don't know if you guys know this. I don't, did we do an episode on Christian science scientists? I think we did. That you know what they say about when somebody dies because Christian science, it's just you just have to believe. Uh, and and they, they say, oh, like where we would say, like when you would say about your father, you know, my father died in whatever year, they would say, well, he seemed to have died in <laughs> whatever year. <laughs> okay, anyway, look at the data this way. Don't cut me off. Look at the data this way at how this has increased. The boomers, 16% said that the Bible and science are in conflict. Gen X, 19%. Millennials, 26%. Mm-hmm. Gen Z, 24%. So 2% down, but basically the same. That's interesting. What's happening that that's going on? Um, Come to Trinity College of the Bible Theological Seminary and study apologetics, and you'll read books that try to explain what that's going on. Yeah, and if you don't do that, which that's what you should do, at least listen to more episodes of Trinity Radio. Yes. Um, Or you could listen to our uh, sister podcast, The Narrow Path with Steve Gregg, the... Bible Brodown with Matt Chisholm and Billy Winland, and of course, Soteriology 101 with Leighton Flowers. But I know you're wrapping up, but I don't want to just give the data and complain about it. Um, I like or, to complain about it. Or be glad about the, I'm the not, good things. I'm not wrapping up. I'm throwing in more commercials. <laughs> well, I do want to wrap up, but I want to end with... I do want to end before I do the, <laughs> I do the uh, Dan Tanner. Is, it, is that the Full House... Uh, mm-hmm. You know, they always end with a little emotional oh. punch. But it is true. Like, th- th- what I'm bothered about is not what you're bothered about. What you're bothered about is we focus um, lopsidedly on atheism yes. with, within evangelism and apologetics. And my concern is just that we're not focusing on it enough, and we need to push harder and try to get these pastors to be concerned about apologetics, to get youth workers learning you mean we're apologetics. Not, we're not focused on it enough in churches. Yeah, we need church people to pick this up and learn how to approach these and how to have these meaningful conversations and how to... And, and, but really, at, at the bottom of it all is just we need to love these people and... Uh, and, and, and show them the love of Christ, because love is the greatest apologetic. You know, several years ago, I went to a, a conference, the National Conference on Christian Apologetics, and Josh McDowell was there, and, and he was, he was going to talk about, I think I said this recently in a podcast, but he was going to talk about the greatest apologetic, and we all bought it. We were like, oh, is he going to talk about, there's some new argument, some new manuscript they found. No, what it was was he gave his personal testimony, and it's a fantastic one. You ought to go try to find it and listen to it. It's very emotional, but in the end, his point was love is the greatest apologetic. We need to love these people and, and reach them with the message of the cross because... Um, He's right. It's, yeah, the gospel is the power of God. And As I said on my Facebook wall here recently, you know, to all apologists, preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use apologetics. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's right. So anyway, um, but if you're out there and you are a person from Generation Z, or not, and you're looking for an answer... Um, we got them. We've got answers. And we'll tell you where not to go find answers, like the Reformed Theodicy. <laughs> but the intellectual... You <laughs> I had to do you, that. You, you may have intellectual concerns, um, but if this is true, that the, the, the problem, the arguments from evil are, are working for the atheist here, I want you to understand that. There's always going to be an emotional problem with that. That We don't decide what's true based on emotion. 
If you're going through a difficult time right now, emotionally, uh, something bad happened to you or your family, then this intellectual stuff isn't going to resonate. But it's good to learn these answers that Christianity does have so that when you're in that tough moment, they're there for you and, and you have access to them. They're already there. And we do have those answers. And we'd love to share them with you further. But um, contact us, email us. We'd love to talk to you, especially, hey, if you're a Generation Z person and you disbelieve in the Christian message uh, and you'd like to talk to us, maybe we could have you on the show. Uh, let us know. All right. So I don't have anything else. Do you have anything else? I've said all our commercials. All right, man. We'll see you next time on Trinity Radio. If you would like more content, click here and keep watching Bible Studies. Click up here. And finally, we want you to subscribe. We need more subscribers, so click here.